Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 13, the passage of scripture entitled The Transfiguration. Let's read God's word together. And church, it's so good to be home. I'm so glad to be with you. So blessed being at the Baptist church in Split last week. And you might have saw the video that was posted. Um, I had, as, as the moment went forth for me to record that moment, uh, I got to the end of it and I was still talking and I had one of those, just like in the commercial, like my data ended right in the middle of the video. I was like, what a time for this recording to stop. But I caught just enough of them to wave hi and they were saying hi to you um, from that church. And they were so grateful uh, for us sending Mario and Jen to them. And I'm so excited to see what God's going to have in the days to come. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Let's read God's word together. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you will, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Let's pray. Oh, almighty God, as we get a glimpse of your glory here from your word, I pray that you would touch our hearts and capture our hearts. Holy Spirit, we pray by your power that you would change our hearts and cause us to be captured by this vision of the glorious Christ and that we would love him and serve him and obey him and follow him and worship and adore him and trust in him more fully as a result of hearing your precious word this morning. We are so grateful to you, Jesus. As Ben mentioned in the beginning of worship, the hope that we have this morning in our hearts because you came. And we celebrate your coming. And we just ask for you to touch our hearts powerfully, Holy Spirit. And cause us to love Jesus even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The the title of this message this morning is The Transfiguration, and I have three points that I want to 
share with you. And and feel very emotional here today, just seeing you all after being away. I just am so thankful to be home here with you and and uh, love you so much, church. The first point is his glory. His glory. Secondly, his identity. His identity. And thirdly, his prophecy. His prophecy. Let's look first at his glory. And here we see the beginning in verse 1 that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. We don't know exactly which mountain this was, but we know he was in the region of Caesarea Philippi heading toward Jerusalem. And it seems that uh, after the encounter where Peter's great confession takes place and after the passage that Ben was reading last week, In verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. The the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, coming as a a, a king in heavenly glory. He's talking here about Peter, James, and John in this very next context, transitioning into chapter 17. They are going to see the king in His glory appearing in heavenly glory, transfigured before Him. Peter, James, and John didn't have long to wait until they saw the Son of Man coming in His kingdom glory. And and we see here that Jesus does. He takes them up onto a high mountain. And the purpose here we learned from one of the other gospel accounts was Jesus wanted to get them into a time of solitude so that they could pray. This group of three, Peter, James, and John, were sort of the, the three that Jesus especially wanted to invest in amongst the apostles and to show His glory to so that they would experience this. And after the resurrection, they would be able to tell the story of the transfiguration. It's in the gospel accounts through and through. It's such an important story to the Lord for us to understand because God wants us to see Christ in His glory. There's something about seeing Him as He is in His glory, in His heavenly glory that It inspires us to trust Him, brothers and sisters, as the Christ, the promised one that was sent to come and save us from our sins. I pray that this would cause you to worship and adore Him all the more as we look at this section. So they go away to a special place high up on the mountain. And here it says in verse 2, Jesus was transfigured before them. That talks about how He appeared before them in His heavenly glory. This was uh, an image and, a, and an appearance of Christ and his uh, what he would have looked like in his pre-incarnate glory prior to coming and taking on flesh. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, when he took on flesh and became one of us, he emptied himself of the glories of deity. He didn't empty himself of deity itself, which would be impossible, but the The phrase emptied himself or humbled himself and became obedient to death. He emptied himself of the glories of deity. The the human flesh that Jesus took on, in a sense, was almost like a mask hiding behind it. The radiant glory, the heavenly glory of the transfigured Christ. And here, as Christ is on his way toward the cross to suffer and die for his people's sins, it's almost like there's no way to contain it anymore. The glory just breaks out. And oh, it's transcendent. Oh, it's awesome. 
we see that he was transfigured before them. And here's the description. His face shone like the sun. His face shone like the sun. We read in Revelation chapter 1, when the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing from the Isle of Patmos, he sees the resurrected Christ in His glory. And John writes in Revelation 1.17, remember, he saw Jesus transfigured before His resurrection. And when he saw Him after His resurrection, after He had ascended, John said, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. And then it says, but He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Brothers and sisters, the heavenly glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation chapter 1 that it, when He saw the resurrected Christ, it says that His face shined like the sun. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Here, we see a similar description. Christ's face shining like the sun. We get a glimpse of this once again with the resurrected Christ when He appears on the Damascus Road to the Apostle Paul. And His life, after seeing the resurrected Christ, was never the same again Though the sun was shining in the brightness of noonday, the radiance of the resurrected Christ was so bright that it outshone the sun in full strength. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's such glory that emanates from the person of Jesus Christ. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your adoration. And your praise. His face shone like the sun. Matthew records. And his clothes became white. As light. The description of those shining ones in heaven. The resurrected Christ. But also his people who will. Reign with Him in glory forever, brothers and sisters. We get a small glimpse of it in 1 Corinthians 15, and it says that the righteous will shine like the stars. It's going to be awesome. But here Jesus' clothes were as white as light. It was so brilliant and amazing. Oh, brothers and sisters. What a moment. 
for the disciples, Peter, James, and John, to see. And we see a description here of what our future holds. 1 Corinthians 13 describes that when the perfection comes, speaking of the return of Jesus Christ, when the perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear. And then it says, then we will see face to face. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see those eyes like flames of fire. We are going to see that face with new eyes that we'll be able to behold and take in the radiance of the sun shining in full strength. It's an image that we can look up and take a glimpse of the sun even now shining in full strength for only a split second. And when we look away, the the imprint of that sun shining in full strength stays within your mind as you turn away and shut your eyes to recover from that one instant. The glory of the radiance of Jesus Christ in His heavenly glory is going to be more brilliant than that. They indeed saw the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, coming to set up and establish His kingdom with His incarnation and His first coming, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, trampling over Satan and dealing him a mortal wound, binding him up so that he rides with his mortal wound through the cross, flopping around on the ground, bound up Satan is as Christ smashes down the gates of hell and plunders Satan's house as he wins many sons to glory from every tribe and tongue and people group on the face of the planet. Christ will have his gospel preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. No more nations hovering in perpetual darkness. The people Living in darkness, as Ben mentioned earlier during worship, have seen a great light. Christ has come in His incarnation and He's given hope to the nations. And we see here the the radiance of the glory of Jesus Christ shining forth, face shining like the sun, clothes white as light. And brothers and sisters, what a sight for sore eyes this must be to all of us. And let it really minister to your heart this morning Whatever you are going through, whatever is troubling you, whatever you are burdened with, this side of heaven, please take heart and know that the King of kings and Lord of lords is sovereign over it. He knows your plight. He knows what you are going through. And this shining, radiant, glorious Christ is going to carry you forth with His great power all the way until you make it home. Hang in there. Brothers and sisters, hang in there. Hold fast. Remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight, because you are serving this Christ. Such a powerful moment here, and as if that wasn't enough just on its own, verse 3 says, And behold, there appeared to them, Moses and Elijah talking with him. 
Moses and Elijah talking with Christ. We know from the other gospel accounts that in verse 4, the, the, the description here of Peter where he asks the question to build the tents is motivated out, out of fear. He's just overwhelmed with what he's encountering here with Christ appearing and being transfigured in his heavenly glory before them and also Moses and Elijah standing there talking with Jesus. This is just an overwhelming experience on the mountain. Moses and Elijah summarizing and symbolizing the Old Testament all pointed to Jesus Christ, the law and the prophets, all finding their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, and Moses, Moses and Elijah are speaking to the one that the law and the prophets pointed to. The Christ. And as if that wasn't powerful enough, verse 5 says, Peter was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This here is a description of the Shekinah glory of God, the glory cloud seen multiple times throughout the scriptures coming and enveloping this moment. It was so glorious and so weighty that when the disciples heard this and experienced this, it says in verse 6, they fell on their faces and were terrified. When you see the glory of Jesus Christ and the Shekinah glory of God himself, There is no casual entering in. There is a terror that comes upon one when they experience and encounter the holiness and the majesty of God our Father and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, His Son. The Shekinah glory cloud was so great in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. And I'll read this section here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. This is the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Again, another mountain experience. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let... God, speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Again, Revelation 1, the Apostle John, when he sees the resurrected Christ in His glory, falls down, at Jesus' feet as though dead. There was such a familiarity with Jesus at the Last Supper that he is literally leaning on Jesus' body and taking rest and repose upon the person of Jesus Christ because there's such a closeness, such an intimacy between the two of them because they loved one another. And John delighted to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
but we see when we get a glimpse of the transcendent glory of Jesus Christ, the radiant one, we fall down at his feet as though dead. Hebrews 10 verse 31 says that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you don't have the blood of Christ covering over your sins and the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith credited to you upon believing, if you don't have the covering of Christ's robes of righteousness, and if you don't have the covering of the shed blood of the Son of God for your sins through the cross, you do not want to encounter the holiness of God. You don't want to be there. It's the last place you want to be. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And brothers and sisters, millions of people will go into a a day where they will go before the Lord and stand before Him alone, and they will not have that covering, having rejected the Son of God, not having believed in Him, hardening their heart and saying, I will not believe in Christ, the one satisfaction for sins that you sent, Father. I won't believe in Him. I reject Him. They will literally go naked before Him, and they will suffer the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and to go before God in all of His holiness without the covering of Christ's shed blood on the cross and His robes of righteousness that He earned through His sinless life that God the Father has chosen to credit and cover you with by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Oh, it it inspired so much fear here at the transfiguration. This isn't even the the post-resurrected Christ in His ascended glory. This here is an image of Christ in His heavenly glory. And when the Shekinah glory cloud comes, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Brothers and sisters, I simply ask us this. do, Do we have this weight of glory before us? As we are living our lives. Is there a fear of the Lord. That we walk in. As brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be on relational. Terms that are so intimate. To where we can say Jesus. You are my closest and best friend. But we should never carry a casual attitude about our personal relationship with God, symbolized by the slogan a number of years ago, that Jesus is my homeboy. This passage, this glory blows that away in terms of you never talk casually about Christ in His heavenly glory. You never go before the Shekinah glory of God as we all will stand before the Lord in His glory at the day of judgment Casually, we come before Him reverently. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God the Father, sitting on His majestic throne, ruling over the universe with absolute power, absolute sovereignty. He is worthy of our reverence. He is worthy of our awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Does that mark us? Do we tremble? At his word, do we, as Psalm chapter 2 talks about, do we serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling? 
there should be a sense of the weight of glory about our Christian lives that should mark us with a reverence and an awe. It should mark us with a fear of God when we're tempted to sin and we're tempted to take up profane things and live our lives for things that ultimately do not matter and focus on the things that are seen rather than the things that are unseen because there is an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And before long, not too long, we will stand before Him and give an account. As Ben mentioned a week ago, we will stand before this Holy One in all of His glory and give an account And we must carry a sense of, Almighty God, help me not to live life casually before you, my King of Kings, in all of your glory. Help this to carry a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a true fear of the Lord that doesn't cause us to pull back and be distant. But because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, it actually causes us to draw near with fear and trembling. And yet we draw near because we now have access to the Holy of Holies through our high priest, Jesus Christ, offering up the sacrifice of himself on the cross. The curtain has been torn in two. The barrier between us has been brought down. And we can come before Him in all of His glory. We'll be able to stand before Him in all of His glory and see Him face to face because of what He has done. I can't wait, can you, to see Him as He is. Brothers and sisters, our faith is going to become sight real soon. (laughs) And we're going to look into those eyes that are flames of fire. And we're going to see that face shining like the sun. And instead of terror for us, it's going to be overwhelming joy. Because this majestic king of kings died for us so that that moment will be one of absolute joy and not absolute terror. Oh, the love of our awesome God. Point two, his identity. His identity. We see here that God the Father testifies to his identity here in verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my beloved Son. This is reminiscent of Psalm chapter 2. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth, your possession. You rule, Christ. You rule over your kingdom. And I will bring many peoples underneath. And you will rule over them all. This is an image of majesty here. His beloved son. It's also an image of the suffering servant in Isaiah 42. Where the son is described as the servant. The one who's going to lay his life down for his people to suffer and die in their place, in their stead, in order to bring them to God, 
This is my beloved son. This is the Christ. Here is a description of when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ in Matthew 16, when we looked at a couple weeks ago, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The living God shows up and says, Peter, you're right. Peter's faith becomes sight here as he sees the testimony similar to the testimony that the Father gives at Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Here again, we see the Father testifying to Peter, James, and John. Listen to Him. In the presence of Moses and in the presence of Elijah, symbolizing the law and the prophets, God the Father says to Peter, James, and John, Listen to my Son. Listen to the Christ. There's a description here earlier in Matthew 16 of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were pointing everybody, including the people, to Moses. He's your authority. And he supersedes Jesus. God the Father says, no. Moses and Elijah, they are in a supporting role here. They are talking here to Christ to help support, to help to strengthen. And they are there standing there in full support of God the Father. As God the Father says, listen to my son. And his words, obey him, worship him. Everything that the law and the prophets say pointed to him. Christ is the climax of biblical revelation. He is the focal point and the fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets have testified to. Listen to him. Oh, brothers and sisters. This was certainly for the benefit of for Peter and James and John, and that's where the accent goes, but I can't help but also think that this must have encouraged Jesus in the midst of heading down, down, down into a valley, heading toward Jerusalem, heading through Gethsemane, heading ultimately to the cross where he is going to suffer the wrath of God in our place. And at that work, that cross work that he's going to do, To hear these words from his father yet again. This is my beloved son. And to hear this attestation. With whom I am well pleased. Must have encouraged and bolstered. The courage of our Lord. As he's about ready to descend into the valley of the shadow of death alone. His identity is he is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is God's son. He is the second person of the Trinity. One in essence with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. We worship our God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. One in essence We worship one God. And brothers and sisters, here we see God the Father speaking in the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. 
Finally, the third point. His prophecy. Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. He, here in this ministry, he prophesied about, even as Ben mentioned last week, in terms of if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus talks about and predicts again and again that he is going to suffer and die on the cross and then he's going to, in three days, rise again. It was the greatest prophecy that he offered where he described that me, I, the glorious one, the Son of God himself, the Christ, I am going to lay my life down on the cross and then I am going to rise again from the grave. He prophesies this again and again and again and then we see it happen here as well. We see after they're terrified, verse 7, Jesus came and touched them. I, this description of Jesus touching them, it happened again in Revelation 1, in the passage I read earlier, where Jesus, when the Apostle John is just down, falling at his feet as though dead, Jesus put his right hand on him. You see this image of the personal love of Christ, where he doesn't just say, rise up, but he touches you and lifts you up and Here Jesus came and he touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, Moses and Elijah had gone, the Shekinah glory had gone, and Jesus in his radiance, his transfigured glory, were gone. And there was no one there but Jesus standing there only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. He had reasons for this where he would tell them not to share what they had just seen. He wants to wait until after the resurrection. After the resurrection, they can tell this story and publish it far and wide. He is thinking about the future for their faith to be established on the fulfillment of the prophecy of his death and his resurrection. And then for them to hear this story of his transfiguration then would only compound and add to their faith. He didn't he felt like it was it was important for them not to publish this far and wide prior to the resurrection. And so he tells them that. And then in verse 10, and the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? This is a reference to Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, where it describes that Elijah will come. In verse 11, he answered, Elijah does come. And remember, they just saw Elijah. <laughs> he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So he's predicting here that, number one, he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's also predicting here that the Son of Man will certainly suffer at the hands of the men that also persecuted and killed John the Baptist. Verse 13, the disciples understood at that moment that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The the, the link here, brothers and sisters, is Moses and Elijah. Moses was the, the, the first prophet amongst the prophet. God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses who would be like his brothers and would come forth. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is prophesied about that God is going to raise up a prophet similar to Moses, and then God the Father comes down and says, and you will listen to him. And there's the testimony of of God the Father given there, listen to the prophet that I will send to you who will be like Moses. It's speaking of Christ, the ultimate prophet who would come. 
and to obey him and listen to him. So Moses corresponds to the great eschatological prophet, Jesus Christ. So Moses corresponds to Jesus. Elijah in this story corresponds to the forerunner of the Christ. Or John the Baptist. Elijah, his ministry was to turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to following God. And in doing so, that the hearts of the fathers would be turned toward their children. That's the specific prophecy in Malachi chapter 4. Here, this ministry is likened unto that Elijah was one and he corresponds to the one who came after him so greatly that to call him Elijah and call John the Baptist Elijah, they, their ministry was one and the same. And so Jesus says Elijah has already come. And he's come in the form of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for me, telling people to believe in me, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And in doing that ministry, he fulfilled Malachi chapter 4. John the Baptist did as the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And the key thing that Jesus wants to point out is that the Pharisees and the scribes did not listen to John the Baptist. And they rejected his message so much so that they killed him. And Jesus prophesies here, I also, the Son of Man, the Glorious One, is going to certainly suffer at their hands as well. And he does. So he answers their theological question. And he also reinforces the truth that he had already prophesied to them, that he is going to die. And then he's going to be buried. And then on the third day, he is going to be raised to new life through the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, I am so affected thinking about these things coming to pass. And they're all meant to bolster our faith. They're all meant to cause us to look and say, this is all real. This is all true. This is this is the Christ. I want to worship Him. I want to bow down on my knees and follow Him. I want to give my heart over to Him to follow Him as my King of Kings and Lord of Lords because all of this is true. And if anybody here has not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, would you please respond to the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, beckoning you to come to Christ. And would you please repent, turn from your sins this morning and trust in Jesus Christ because He alone can save you. But brothers and sisters, this is meant to bolster your faith as well. And I have, in relation to those three points, three quick applications that I'd like to share with you. And then we're going to close in worship. The first application comes from the first point, or from the second point, speaking of his identity. He is the Son of God. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Brothers and sisters, may we hear it from God the Father Himself. Listen to Christ. Follow Christ. There is nothing else that matters in this life more than living your life following Jesus Christ. Listening to Him. Obeying Him. My brothers and sisters, we owe Him our allegiance. We owe Him our passion. We owe Him our lives. 
Are we rendering unto him the service worthy due to him as the King of kings and Lord of lords? Have you given your whole heart over to Jesus Christ to serve him wholeheartedly or not? Or are you just coming to church week in and week out, coming and going through the motions? This passage is meant, God the Father coming in the Shekinah glory, coming before Peter, James, and John and saying these words, it's meant to speak to you and me. Listen to him. The title of this series in Matthew has been Follow Me, Follow Christ. We owe Christ our followership. We owe Him what Ben preached last week to take up our cross and follow Him. We owe the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Is that your desire? Is that what you're living like right now? Let us all repent over how we all fall short of this. And let us respond to the words of our Heavenly Father saying, this is my beloved Son, Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. With Him I am well pleased. And listen to Him. There are so many people who want to say, yeah, I, I like Jesus. I love the idea of him buying me hell insurance so I don't have to burn in hell for eternity. But when it comes to listening to him, obeying him, following his word and taking up the cross and following Jesus, I don't like that. No, we owe him our allegiance. We owe him our followership, brothers and sisters. We owe him our wholehearted devotion and obedience and passion to listen to Him and to follow Him and obey Him as our King of kings and Lord of lords in transcendent glory who we will one day soon stand before and give an account of our lives and how we live them. Let us in the fear of God obey the Father and His command to us this morning. Listen to Him. Listen to my Son. There may be many of us in this room right now who are at the crossroads tempted to veer off and run back to the world. You're tempted to run back to your old life in sin. You're tempted to jettison the law of Christ and the word of Christ to go back and follow the dictates of your own flesh and desires. Friend, don't do it. Oh God, help us all not to do it, but to stay on this path. This is the path to salvation, brothers and sisters, following Jesus Christ. When Satan comes to tempt you off of it, remember the words of God the Father. Listen to Christ. We owe Him our allegiance. We owe Him our obedience and our followership. Second application pertains to point one in His glory. And I just want to happily avow this to you. I love this application point. (laughs) You know, it's written that when Moses saw the Shekinah glory of God at Mount Sinai when he came down off the mountain. He was reflecting the radiance of the Shekinah glory so brightly he had to cover up. He had to put a veil over his face. It was so bright it was disturbing the people. That's not looking at Shekinah glory directly. That's getting a reflection of it. Like when we look at the moon... We're seeing the sun's light reflected. Moses reflected glory 
Jesus emanates glory from within himself. He is the one we should listen to. He is the one who is radiant in glory, worthy of our worship. And brothers and sisters, this is your future. Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. Listen carefully. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, all danger forever taken away, all trouble forever taken away. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Believe in Him. He is so radiant in glory, He is going to light up the new Jerusalem and there's no need for sun there. That's just awesome. Brothers and sisters, what is that going to be like? We are going to walk into the new Jerusalem together. And we are going to experience this radiant glory. Oh, my friends, The radiant Christ in all of His heavenly resurrected glory. This is your future. Happy ending. This is where it's all going. You are going to see Jesus face to face. And the glory of it is going to be so great. It's going to so far outweigh every trouble and difficulty you have ever had here. It's all worth it. Continue to look unto Christ Continue to follow your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because this is your future. This is your future. Hang in there. Hold on. Continue to follow Him. And know that He's got you and He's never going to let you go. What an awesome Christ. No one will ever snatch us out of His hand. Let us be often heavenly minded as Christians and not forget the glory of where we're heading. We are going to see the Son of God face to face. And it's going to indeed be awesome. That really is the goal of our salvation. That's the pinnacle and the peak. To see Jesus face to face will summarize all of the joys of heaven. And yes, there'll be many other joys as well, but none will surpass that. Seeing Jesus face to face. Oh, I can't wait. And I know you can't either. I can't wait to enjoy him there together with you. That day's coming sooner than we think. And finally this. Speaking of his prophecy. It's almost a marvel that you look at this glorious Christ. The Shekinah glory coming down from heaven and enveloping them talking about, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. you got Moses, you got Elijah, you've got just an absolute 
majestic scene here happening in 17. And then when they fall down in terror, Jesus alone picks them up and they're coming down the mountain. Jesus is coming down the mountain. He's heading on his way to the cross. And he's saying, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to be raised. That's the good news. Well, wait a second. From the dead? What, what about that? And he says, Elijah has suffered. John the Baptist, he was beheaded. But also, the Son of Man, the one who just appeared to you in heavenly glory, is also going to certainly suffer at their hands. The transcendent, glorious King of Kings, brothers and sisters, entered into suffering and death for you. This passage goes from glory to grief. In Psalm chapter 8, David says, what is man that you're even mindful of him? You're talking about radiant glory And how deep the Father's love for us, as we sung this morning, that He would send His only Son, His precious One, to come down into the squalor of this fallen world and take on flesh Himself. God becomes one of us to come down into the manger in Bethlehem. To be born in a feeding trough. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Radiant and heavenly glory. To come down and humble himself. All the way unto death. And even death on a cross. Oh brothers and sisters. It is just the greatest contrast. From glory to the ultimate humiliation. And then to glory again. As he is raised from the dead. But let us marvel. So great is the Father's love for us. May we be moved to worship. May we be moved with greater passion and devotion for Him. May we sing all the louder. May we lift our hands all the higher. May we commit our lives all the fuller to this awesome God who would have loved us so much that He would have gave His only Son to die on the cross to make His wretch, wretches His treasure. Wretches who, while we were still sinners, He sends His Son to die for us. Why would you give up your treasured one, your gloriant, radiant one, Jesus Christ, to come down and rescue rebels who should have only known your wrath? Here, the God the Father says to Jesus in His glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And, oh, Jesus, take these words fully to heart, Jesus. Your Father is well pleased with you, Jesus. He's well pleased with what you're about to do when you go down into that mountain and down into Jerusalem to suffer and bleed and die on behalf of your people. Take all of those words in from your Father, Jesus, because soon you will be forsaken by your Father. Soon. You will endure the terror of the wrath of God. Because you will take upon yourself. He who had no sin became sin for us. And when Jesus took upon himself 
your sin and mine. God the Father looking upon Jesus as the sin bearer forsook His only Son. Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why? So that He might forgive forgive you and deliver you from the wrath that you would have endured all throughout eternity in hell, and so would I, believer. So that He could save you from that wrath, so He could deliver you, He could adopt you and call you His own son, His own precious daughter, so that He could do all of that. So great was His love, and so great is His love for you. Do not ever doubt God's personal love for you, beloved. He has proven, He has demonstrated His love for you. And that while we were still sinners, Christ, this glorious, radiant Christ, died for us. He went from hearing His Father say, With you I am well pleased. To hearing absolute silence when he cried out in Gethsemane. Oh Father if it's possible take this cup from me. Yet not my will. But thine be done. Silence. Send angels to strengthen him. Because if I deliver him from this they all go to hell. crying out the next day on the cross when he's our sin bearer and the dark clouds of God's wrath come over and God the Father pours out all of his righteous and holy wrath on Jesus our substitute. He becomes so disgusting, one theologian said, on the cross. It was the most grotesque creature God the Father had ever seen. That's how ugly Jesus became on the cross because he was bearing my sins that I loved committing in my lifetime. Jesus the innocent one, the spotless one, said I will do that Father. I will go on the cross for them. I will go on the cross to suffer the wrath for their rebellion. I'll die as their substitute. Pour it out on me. And God the Father with great love says, yes, I'll pour it out on you in order that you might come and lay your hand upon them and say to Peter and James and John and the CB and everyone in Christ Community Church here who has believed, rise and have no fear. You no longer need to fear the day of judgment. God the Father has fully punished His Son in the place of you. There is no more wrath. There is no more judgment left for you. It has been spent. It has been exhausted. It has been propitiated. It has been satisfied. And that is worthy of our dancing. That is worthy of our rejoicing. That is worthy of our shouting. That is worthy of our praising. That is worthy, it has been mentioned last week, of us taking up our cross in this short earthly life we had to live and to die to ourselves and to say, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for you. And no matter what the cost, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to spend my life serving you, King of Kings, generous King. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Holy Spirit, help us, empower us to do Just that, because He is worthy. Amen, brothers and sisters. He is so worthy. Josh, if you could come forward and let's sing and praise to God. But let us pray as they come. Let's stand.
Oh, God, how can we thank you enough for sending your own son? We are so moved by your sacrifice of love. Thank you for sending your one precious son in order to make wretches your treasure. Oh, Lord, in order to adopt us as your sons and daughters. Oh, Lord, how can we thank you enough for being so merciful to us? Lord, rebels who are only worthy of your wrath, and yet you would have sent your own righteous, precious one to die in our place. Oh, thank you so much, Jesus, for becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. For us, we worship you and we praise you. And Jesus, we can't wait to see you face to face. We can't wait to see you, Lord of Lords. We can't wait... To see you crowned with many crowns. We can't wait to see you worshipped and adored by all of your blood-bought people from every tribe and tongue. We can't wait to get there. Holy Spirit, empower us. That we would be your church, your true church, and we would rise up and proclaim your precious gospel, which is the only hope for this world. But for now, we worship and we adore you. And we want to sing to you. We want to sing to you for your great love, Father. We want to sing to you, Jesus, the acknowledgement that one day we'll see you and worship you face to face. We love you for all that you've done, and we trust in you with all of our hearts. Amen.